Hi, and welcome to episode 129 of No Crying in Baseball. My name's Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Well, I'm sort of, I can see my friend Potty Mouth on the screen. Hi, Potty Mouth. At least we can wave to each other. At least we have the video feed going. I got to admit, this is pretty difficult, different than what we're used to, but... We are still going. We're hanging in through um, through pandemic conditions, and we're going to keep doing this every week. And in the meantime, we've been doing stuff related to baseball and related to the show. So there's all sorts of fun stuff to do in our pandemic conditions. We watch movies, right? You've seen a ton of movies. How many sports movies have you seen? Uh, lots of them. I've been trying to watch only sports movies that I haven't seen before. So um, I'm currently watching one about um, a quiz show, and I'm trying to make it be about sports. So I'm kind of reaching. It's it's not. It, it, what sport is it connected to, maybe? Or is it just the quiz, quiz show? It, okay, quiz, quiz show. show. It can be a sport. Back off. Have you heard of Fear Strikes Out? Mr. Uh, Potty Mouth and I found it last night. Did you say beer strikes out? No, oh, that would be even better. No, fear, like being afraid of someone. Fear strikes out. No. It was a fascinating story about a player that I had never heard of, and I can't believe it. He played for the Red Sox. His name was Jim Pearsall, and he was bipolar. And it's a fascinating story of his life from when he was a kid to, to his overbearing father who said all the wrong things. And then him making it um, signed by the Red Sox. And he went he was one in the one from one of those half Yankees, half Red Sox towns. And he was very proud to be going for the Red Sox. But then he had a breakdown, a nervous breakdown after his rookie year. Now, the, the weirdest thing about it was the acting. So get this. The, the guy, Jim Pearsall, was played by Anthony Perkins. And so his overbearing father was played by Carl Malden. And it was kind of like I kept expecting him to go stab someone because he just had that like, you know, a parent is being overbearing to me. I'm going to go psycho, so to speak, kind of look on his face. Is this like a 60s It was 57, 1957. Yes. And and so when it first came on, I was like, that kind of looks like Anthony Perkins, but he looks really young. But it was him, very young. Same with Carl Malden. So for all you Red Sox fans out there who don't know about Jim Pearsall, it's really actually pretty fascinating for dealing with um, mental health issues for 1957. But his story is is also pretty amazing. So I'm going to be reading more about him. In the meantime, we were on the radio. That, that was, was fun. fun. That was super fun. So um, I think the Potty Mouth um, posted some links if you want to find the radio show. We were on The Burn. With Mitch. With Mitch Bernstein. Yeah. So The Burn with Mitch, um, I think that's one of their handles. And Mitch Bernstein is also on Twitter. So we can we can post those links. That was a blast. <laughs> and And more online stuff. I think that's like... I don't know, you know, now that we're in our homes and not getting together so often, you kind of get together with people online. And last week we talked about how I got a reply from Carlos Aswaje on Twitter and I was all crazy. Uh, I retweeted that um, uh, Boomstick, Nelson Cruz and Robinson Cano were doing a live Instagram. And our friends at Two Strike Noise commented if I was going to translate and then Nelson Cruz commented that they were going to be doing it in both languages. And that was just an exciting moment in Twitterland. I watched. They did not do it in bo- both languages, though. And I kept and they also either weren't paying attention to their questions or they were just ignoring me because I kept asking the question, like, I thought you guys were going to do some in English, too. But they were just sort of shooting the shit. You know, once you had stepped up to translate, I figured they probably thought they were off the hook. I could not keep up. That was the other thing I kept commenting. Like, I'm killing myself attempting to translate. It's not working very fast. Fast, but fun. 
On today's show, we've got players digging deep and stepping up to help others out. We've got our scorekeeping with Blake segment, which I'm very excited about. And I've got one fun fact for you. But first, players stepping up. So a lot of a lot of uh, Major League Ball players have, and their families, have been donating pretty big bucks to help a lot of efforts, whether they're feeding people in their hometown or they're helping minor leaguers. For example, um, Bryce Harper and his wife Kayla just donated $500,000, um, which is split half and half into relief funds in both Las Vegas, which is his hometown, and Philly, which is his adopted hometown. And Daniel Murphy on the Never Gonna Be a Boyfriend list did a really good thing. So credit where credit is due. His family donated $100,000 to More Than Baseball, who we just talked to a few weeks ago on the pod, and Our Baseball Life, which supports the whole family of the player. And also another $100,000 to local food drives through the Rockies Community Foundation. So good going, Murph. I'm happy to see that. Another uh, couple, uh, Justin Verlander and his wife, Kate, Kate Upton, are donating Verlander's paychecks during the crisis to organizations that help those affected by the crisis. And this stuff with the couples donating, there's been some snark on Twitter, like, that's his paycheck. How can they donate his paycheck? And it's You're like, kidding. No, yeah, I mean, I'm not kidding. That's like real snark. And it's sort of like, you know what? She's also bringing in money. And because he's not, it's a donation for both of them. Like they're a unit. That's the way this stuff works. Yeah. Hey, you have your your new Mets guy is uh, also doing some good stuff. Yeah, that it was really cool to see. A couple weeks ago when uh, Noah Syndergaard was injured, I did another sort of brief profile of Stephen Matz and talked about how he had a history of supporting first responders. And he's been doing this since 2015. And I talked about how he had the True 32 program that brought responders into games and go to batting practice and stuff like that. So I think it was even last week that I mentioned, huh, I wonder what's going to go on with him. He is donating $32,000 in the name of True 32 to first responders in hospitals. And the first chunk went to Elmhurst Hospital in Queens, which is two miles away from where they play. And we all know what's going on in New York City right now. So that's a, a super nice gesture. I'm not surprised. I am really happy that I had picked um, Stephen Matz a couple of weeks ago. And then my other Mets boyfriend, which sounds weird because when we do this baseball boyfriend profiling that we've done in lots of past episodes, we pick one guy per team, but pitching doesn't count. So the Mets are my pitchers, but I also have Jeff McNeil, who has partnered with the Center for Disaster Philanthropy COVID-19 Response Fund, and he donated a pair of cleats that they're raffling off. So like you buy a $25 ticket, you might get the cleats. What I didn't realize when I first saw the announcement, though, is that they have a lot of other players doing this. So this is a really cool charity to support and check it out. You know, you can enter a raffle for a lot of stuff. Other baseball highlights were both of our boyfriends from the Yankees, Gleyber Torres and Miguel Andujar, and then your guy, Christian Yelich from the Brewers, and both guys that we had picked last year, Chris Bryant and Javi Baez from the Cubs. There's also like Gronkowski has got the biggest pot of money so far, I think, because he's probably pushed out his so social media a bunch. But a lot of women also. Um, Jenny Finch was on there some women from the, the soccer team. So pick your sport, pick your person to support, go to the Center for Disaster Philanthropy COVID-19 Response Fund page and see what you can get. 
Some guys are also helping minor leaguers, which is great. So Major League Baseball extended the pay to minor leaguers, that $400 a week paycheck through the end of May, which is great because it was only going to be till through mid-April. But now also some individual players are stepping up, like on the Rangers, Shinsu Chu just donated or pledged $1,000 to each minor league player in the Rangers um, system, which is about 190 players. So to help, you know, augment this, you know, the the allowance basically that Major League Ball is is paying these guys. He's in the last year of a hundred thirty million dollars seven year contract, and he's using his powers for good. And he said, "Hey, you know, without these guys, our team doesn't have a future. So let's take care of them." I'd like to see some gauntlet throwing though. Like if he did this for the Rangers, who else is going to pick it up? There's a lot of other guys who have multi million dollar long term contracts that. May, or maybe I guess MLB should be the one who's really picking it up, but you know, in the spirit. But it's good to see these guys kind of step in in the absence of mm-hmm. you know real leadership at the top, as far as that's concerned. Hey, you want to hear a fun fact? I like fun facts. Okay, so re- you might have heard of. Remember when the biggest scandal, the biggest problem we had was the Astros sign stealing <laughs> thing. Something Those were the trash days. cans. Yeah, we haven't talked so, about trash, trash cans in a while. So you remember AJ Hinch and Jeff Lunau were suspended for a season, basically. Well, what if we don't have a season? Technically, their suspension was to the until the end of the 2020 World Series. Now, a lot of people are saying that means that no matter what happens this year, they'll be done, you know, in October. I kind of think if the 2020 World Series doesn't ever happen, they never come off of suspension. Huh. I don't Ponder know. We have to look at the MLB lawyers for that, but that's a weird one. Ponder and, that and, one. And, and you know, um, they still haven't said what's up with the Red Sox, and I think that's on hold until this is over, just because of the you know the situation we're at now. So perspective is everything. A lot to be found out because yeah, if they're getting the same sort of suspension, it maybe won't be through twenty twenty or yeah, a lot to be determined in the future. We have another special segment this week on No Crying in Baseball. Our friend Blake is back. We had such a blast with him last week. We twist his arm a little bit more, and he's back again. We're going to keep twisting for part three of this series. But, hey, Blake, glad to have you back. Um, In spite of the mild abusive behavior, I'm glad to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, were we bad? Well, I don't know. My my arm is now sprained. If we go another week, it might be full-on broken. Gotcha. So you'll show us how to put somebody on the IL, right, on the scorecard? That's exactly. Because we might need that. As a yep. pitcher, I guess I'm stuck on 15 days instead of 10. So That's right. That's what I hear is the case. Okay, so this is the week where we actually learn the mechanics. We learn how to do this whole scorekeeping thing, even though some of us, actually both of us, have done it in the past with varying degrees of success. So I've got a card. I guess everybody else has their scorecard. But what's everybody writing with? I have a mechanical pencil. I had a pen, but I can't fucking find it. Where is it? <laughs> Shit, like, I didn't bring too much down here. I brought my computer, my beer, my paper, my pen. I would normally no have pen. my uh, my but happy little four-color pen, but but I'm looking at a scorecard I already did because we're going to use a, a game that already happened as an example of, of walking through the scorecard. So I don't need a pen. I've already done the exercise. I'm done. Oh, Fine. Potty mouth, did you find your pen? I found my pen. And this is audio, so you have to describe this to us in painstaking detail. Okay? All right. So how do we how do we get these cards ready to go? 
Sure. So um, for today's exercise, we're actually going to to practice doing this with a real life scenario. So we're going to use. Just, I just wanted to say one thing quick. If you don't have your card yet, Blake, tell them where to get it while they pause this podcast and go get one. Sure. So if you don't have your card yet, uh, give it a pause. Go to baseballscorecard.com um, and then download the vertical scorecard. It's the first one on their list. That's the one we're going to be all be using together. Um, cool. Of course, if you have your own method, you can still play along with your own scorekeeping method, but... This is what we're going to walk through uh, together using a real example, which is the National League wildcard game from this year. That was so um, much fun. I, I love that game. that game. Probably the second best game or third best game in Nats history. I don't know. We can debate that another uh, episode. but um, So that will be a lot of fun. It's, it's a great game as an example because it's a lot of simple stuff at the beginning and then one really complicated play at the end. Um, so we'll sort of ease our way up in difficulty level. Excellent. So are we going to do this in real time over three hours? Um, yes, yes. I'm going to call every pitch and um, <laughs> fill in with the commentary. You should hear my FP Santangelo impression. It's incredible. <laughs> We're waiting. We're waiting. Uh, yeah, so, so what's the snapshot? So, so to start, the first thing you're going to do is set up your scorecard. Now, normally you would have two scorecards because you would have one for each team. Um, in this case, we're just going to use the Nats side just for the sake of practice. Um, but you would you would do this for each team. So the first thing you want to do is fill out your lineup. Um, and so the, the important things are the names and the positions. I like numbers, and we'll get into the reason why. But, for example, Bob Carpenter doesn't use numbers at all because for his system of scorekeeping, it doesn't actually serve any purpose. To him, it's just a waste of space. Do you mean numbers by like uniform numbers of the player or the number corresponding to their position for scorekeeping? Uniform numbers. Thank you okay. for pointing that. Yes, uniform okay. numbers. Um, position is very important regardless of your method of scorekeeping. For me, I like uniform numbers because I use them to indicate who advanced what base runner, but not everyone uses that method or even goes into such detail. Um, and every scorecard is different. So this one provides a space for the uniform number. You might as well. Not every scorecard does. Um, and so it's up to you. So what we're going to do is we're going to fill it out right now. Um, by yeah, It seems logical, but I'll go through it. Uh, your first batter at the top all the way down through your ninth batter um, going I wonder, down. I, um, I wonder how far we could get through the lineup, Patty. You want to guess? Trey Turner. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, shortstop Trey Turner, number seven is the first. Okay. So, for position, we're not going to write shortstop. We're going to write six. It's up to you. I personally write shortstop. I know the number system well in my head. um, And I find it that when I'm writing uh, the player numbers and the position as a number, I might confuse myself, especially for teams that I don't know super well. So on the Nats side, that won't happen. But on the Brewers side, it could 100% happen. Sure. Um, now, we'll just, you know what, it's a good time to talk about that number system of positions. Um, we mentioned it last week, but the way it goes, number one is the pitcher, two is the catcher, three first base, four second base. Five is over to third base, and then six is back to shortstop. And we go seven is left field, eight is center field, and nine is right field. 
Um, and I'll give you an example of why I find this confusing sometimes with the player numbers. Anthony Rendon, when he was in at war number six, um, but his position was five, third base. Oh, wow. And I was often very, whenever he made a play, I often wrote six instead of five because his uniform number was five or I was six. And so that's the reason why I like putting the the alphabetical name of the position instead of the um, player position number. Um, so going down the lineup card, you had Trey Turner. Do you want to guess who was next? I am blanking. I know that Rendon is cleanup. No, that's wrong too. That's no, Rendon's wrong too? third. Yeah, Rendon's third. Oh, so second, batting second is the right fielder, number two, Adam Eaton. Oh, right. I wouldn't have guessed that. Then number six, third baseman, Anthony Rendon. Um, the left fielder, number 22, Soto. Juan Soto, that is. Juan Jose Soto Pacheco. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My Spanish is not that good. Um, the first baseman, 47, Howie Kendrick. Howie. I feel like cheering. This is like, you are you know, you're just as good as the dude who does Nat Stadium. <laughs> I gotta try a little harder than that. Number thirteen, the second baseman is Drupal Cabrera. That was good. The better, yeah. Um, the catcher, number twenty-eight, Kurt Suzuki. I could definitely do it for a minor league team. I don't think I'm at majors level yet, but like double A. Sure. I, I was that. trying to get the gig for the um, for the Thunderbolts for the, like the college wooden bat league, but my my kid who works with Thunderbolts said, "Don't do it." Don't do it because I'll, I'll mortify the child. But I really want to do it. It would be so much fun. I have no credentials, but I would have put in a letter of recommendation. I think that would have been awesome. <laughs> um, batting next, you got the center fielder, number 16, Victor Robles. And then batting ninth is the pitcher, number 31, Max Scherzer. So we filled out our lineup. We're also going to want to put our pitchers. Now, there's a divide within scorekeeping as to whether you put the opposing pitchers with the batter's team or your team's pitchers with the batter's team. Um, I've always done it putting my team's pitchers because I like having all of the same team on one side. I understand why you might want to have the opposing pitchers because then you can see where they changed in correlation to the hitting and the offensive play. Um, you know, because basically when you're scorekeeping for a team, you're really scorekeeping their offensive play. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, everything is compared to what they're doing against the pitcher. So I get that. It's completely your choice how you want to do it. For this example, we're going to, since we're doing it my method, we're going to ignore that it says opposing and just use it as the Nats pitchers. That's just me. Um, but feel free to do however you want. Uh, Brandon Woodruff started that game for the Brewers, so if you prefer that method, you know, have yourself a blast. But we're going to put in number 31, Max Scherzer. Um, and that's basically how you set up your score sheet. Now, everything else is kind of up to you. If you don't want to put the umpires in, you don't have to. I get a kick out of it, mostly because I don't like most of them, so I like to keep track of why I don't like most of them. <laughs> that's um, awesome. It's good to back it up with facts. Yeah, and uh, to be honest, I didn't think Mike Everett was all that great in this game watching the playback, but I only know it was Mike Everett because I'm looking back now. Um, I've never used the catcher's slot. That's really a thing for Little League where you have a lot more catchers and you're, you know, tracking pass balls and whatever. You know, in the MLB, you don't. I That's what I use for other things like 
Um, I like to put the managers in because you get really cool people in the MLB who's the managers, and it's kind of cool to see who's the manager then. Or I mentioned last time I like to put the president's race there. Um, so that's, you know, that's all up to you. The start time, the weather. I mean, I, I don't go that crazy with the weather and stuff like that. But uh, if you want to describe it as partly cloudy or partly sunny, I never knew the difference. But, you know, have yourself a blast. Um, so that's how we set it up. And you're ready to go. It's as easy as that. And, of course, you need to wait until you're pretty much sitting in the stands because the lineup, even though they, they publish it early in the day, things can switch around, right? They can, but once they're published um, by the teams, once they are the official lineup cards that are handed in to the MLB, usually the teams won't publish them until then. Barring an injury or anything like that, there shouldn't be any changes. So nowadays, usually about two or three hours before the game, if you check Twitter, you're pretty good to roll. Okay. Can can I just uh, ask an old lady question? Do, are there scorecards that are big, like bigger spaces? These are tiny. <laughs> I bet you there are, and you probably could blow it up on your computer. But I'll tell you, whenever you go to a ballpark, if you want to buy the scorecard at the ballpark or they give you a free one, they're going to be even tinier. Um, I, I consider myself lucky anytime a diamond is drawn for me because I use the diamond method. I don't use the the line method, which we talked about last time. So by the way, that's what we're going to go off of. We're going to go off of advancing base runners around that little diamond. We're not going to use the... The, the line method to show singles and doubles and, and so on. Um, but yeah, we're ready to roll. Um, so oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you about a few abbreviations and notations and then we're gonna give it a try all together. Um, so the basics are as follows. There's only so many things that can happen in baseball. Baseball's weird and there's weird rules, but but for the most part there's only so many types of plays that can happen. Um, so one is a ground out. And when that happens, we take the fielder who fielded the ball to the fielder that he threw it to, and we put a dash between them. So if it's from the second baseman to the first baseman, we write 4-3. If it's a double play and it goes through multiple people, we write 6-4-3 if it was from the shortstop to the second baseman to the third baseman. Um, and, and if you like, you can put, I put DP for double play. There's other ways of putting it, but that's my abbreviation. So that's your basic ground ball. If you hit it in the air and somebody catches it, there's only a certain amount of ways that they can catch it. So you have an F for fly out an L for line out. Um, if you even want to get that specific, you can just call everything an F if you want. I don't care. I'm good with that. That yeah, I know you like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, a P for pop out. And then you're just going to put the number of the player that caught it. So if it flies out to the center fielder, that's an F8. Um, if you catch it in foul territory on a fly, you can do it either by putting the F after the number. So um, 3F if the first baseman catches it. Or I do FO for foul out. So foul out 3 if it's the first baseman. Now, how else can you get on base? You can get a hit, right? So if you get a hit, all we do is write what that hit was. So 1B for single, 2B for double, 3B for triple, and HR for home run. Um, I like to put GSHR for a grand slam, but that's, again, because I'm a bit of a lunatic. I've said this so many times on the podcast, um, but it's true. Um, and what you do, you just take your little player from home base there and you draw it to whatever play, uh, whatever base they went to. So if he singles, 
You do one B and you draw them to first base. You have and you can put the one B wherever you want. I always put it in the um, lower right corner. And the reason I do that is because there's other things that can happen around the other bases. If they try to steal, you might have to put CS for caught stealing, SB for stolen base. Or if they advance on someone else's play, I put the player that advanced them. Um, so I might need space for that. Um, and that's why I put it there because you're never going to need to fill in anything on that first base um, corner. So in that in that box, like right now we're looking at, at Trey Turner with an empty box with you know first inning next to him. That box is only going to have things that Trey Turner did or that happened to him that that affected him in that box. In that anything inning. anybody else did would be in the box. By their name. Yes. So anything anyone else did would be in the box by their name. That's their row. And whatever inning they come up in, that's where you plop them. But the only the only things that can happen is let's say Trey Turner singles and you move him to first. And then Adam Eden singles, you'll move Adam Eden to first with a 1B. You'll move Trey Turner to second. Um, you don't have to do this, but I like to keep track of who advanced who because that's how you track the flow of the plays. Um, and so above the line where Trey Turner ran from first to second, I'm going to put a little number two to show that it was Adam Eaton that moved him from first to second. Now, a lot of people don't do this. Bob Carpenter just puts a dot next to Adam Eaton anytime he gets an RBI, and he only keeps track of when the players have RBIs. He doesn't really care how they advanced. I like to see how they advanced because let's say Rendon comes up next and he drives Trey Turner home. I don't know if Trey Turner got to second or third on that Eaton hit. I don't know if Eaton drove him home. I don't know who it was. Um, so I prefer to keep track of how everyone moved in such a way. I have to ask a question right now. As someone who has tried to keep track, to keep score at very complicated games, like Little League games, when usually it's mayhem, it's not a lot of like, you know, bang, bang plays. It's a lot of mayhem. I have the hardest time watching several things happen at once on the field. So do you find yourself like watching the game differently if you know you have, you're keeping score? Yeah. Um, well, one thing that has been great is the MLB app, um, especially when there's some crazy plays and, and people get caught in the base pass and there's multiple throws between people. I always go to the MLB app and see what the play was because I can't keep track of it always. I can't with the shifts and everything. Sometimes a double play was at a 4-6-3, a 6-3-4. Um, but one easy thing to do, you know, when the ball is hit, I tend to just follow the ball because that's natural. If Adam Eaton hits a single, I'm going to follow the ball and I'm going to first look at Adam Eaton to see where he wound up because that's natural. I can always look once the play is stopped and, and time is called, I can always look and then see where's Trey Turner. Two people don't bat at once. So there's no way that anyone else could have done anything. So once everyone's frozen, you kind of have a snapshot. Your scorecard says where everyone was before. What you see on the field when the play is over says where everyone else is after. Um, and, and another reason I like to watch the base runner instead of, of anyone else, the, guy, the hitter, I should say, the um, is because there are circumstances where Adam Eaton can single and still reach second. Um and that's a scorekeeping thing, right? So he can single and someone can misplay it off the wall and it could be ruled a single and then an error for him to reach second or just a single and then he legged it out to second versus ruling it a double. So I want to watch that. And then I can always look up and see where's Trey. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so we've got people hitting. So we've got 
they they you know they had a successful hit or they had a foul or they had a line out. There's a couple other ways to get on base or not get on base at all. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of other ways. So um, first of all, speaking of of hitting it, making contact. You can, um, if you ground it out, I know we talked about the player that throws it, dash the player that catches it. Um, sometimes there's circumstances where a first baseman fields it himself and steps on the base. Um, we use a U there to indicate that, that it was unassisted. Um, and the oh, reason, I didn't know that one. The reason we do that is because a lot of people don't use that F for fly out. Bob Carpenter, for example, just puts the number. And so this makes it clear to say the first baseman didn't catch it on a fly. He fielded it and unassisted stepped on the base and got the out. Got it. That's a new one for me. Thank you. Then there's also the fielder's choice, which means that they choose to get the lead runner and the first runner arrives safely. Now, that's not considered a hit because somebody got out on that play. Um, and so we mark that we, we lead the hitter to first base. So we draw him on and then we mark it in the corner FC and whatever the play was to indicate fielder's choice. Um, I should say, I know I mentioned marking things in the right corner. I do that when they get on base, but when they don't get on base, I don't really need the diamond anymore. Their at bat is over for that inning. So I draw whatever happened nice and big right over the diamond because it makes it a lot easier to see. There's no reason to not use the space you have. Um, so there's the fielder's choice. Um, now, basically, the only things we haven't covered are what can happen if you don't even make contact. Um, so you can be hit by a pitch. Um, I use HBP for that. Um, there's other ways of doing that, but that's the one I prefer, where we put that in the corner and we draw the guy to first. Um, a walk is BB, or a base on balls. That's a traditional one. Um, Bob Carpenter, again, uses W for walk, and he's much cooler than I am. So who am I to adjudicate? <laughs> he's cooler than all of us. We talked about the K for strikeout. Um, so a forward K if it's a strikeout swinging, a backwards K if it's a strikeout looking. Um, one little cool thing I learned from Bob Carpenter, he actually likes to keep track of the number of strikeouts or walks that each pitcher does by putting the little number as subscript next to the K or the BB. So he'll do K and then a little subscript one, two, three. And it's when you have a pitcher, you're watching like Max Scherzer or Jacob deGrom or something where you really care about that. It's kind of a smart way to do it. Cause I can't tell you how many times I've just sat and tried to count the K's that I'm looking at. Um, now there's other little things. So you can strike out on a drop strike three. Um, I don't score that unless as a drop strike three, I don't really care unless the person makes it to first base, in which case we draw him to first base and we put the little K in the corner because it still counts as a strikeout, but that's how they reached. Um, and I think the final big thing we should talk about is errors. We use E for error. Um, and an error can occur as a way of someone reaching the base. So that would be scored just like a hit, but instead of writing 1B, we would write E5 if it's an error by the, the third baseman. Or it can be scored as a means of advancing. So if someone gets a single, but someone screws, you know, it doesn't field it right in the outfield, like we'll see later with Juan Soto, we can draw him to first on the 1B, and then we'll draw him to second on the E7. Um, so, so we can mark how people advance, too. Um, and it's the same with stolen base. It's the same with anything like that. Yeah, Patty. So for for errors, do we have all the power there? Is it like the scorekeeper's judgment? Like he should have been able to make that play. So I'm calling it an error. It's totally up to you. I <laughs> I I I go off the scorekeeper because I'm a stickler for the rules, 
and the Jewish guilt just consumes me as many times as I've tried to stray. I can relate. But again, there's no scorekeeper jail, so you can do it however you like. But I, I like to keep a record of what the game officially was because now I'm looking back at the wild card game, which is an awesome game, and I can tell you exactly what happened as the MLB records it, not as I saw it. So it just depends on what you value. Um, And then the last thing to mention, too, is when somebody scores, I like to fill in the little diamond. So we've been marking everything on the outside of the diamond. By filling in the diamond, it just makes it easier to see how many runs were scored. And I think we're ready to go. So what I'm going to do, we'll run through a few innings and we'll jump around to cover. We're going to cover a few basic plays. We'll cover some pitching changes. We'll cover some batting changes. And then we'll finish off with the... Very difficult and complicated, but exciting Juan Soto play that um, <laughs> I love that play ended the game for us. So are you guys ready? So so you guys are kind of on the spot because I'll describe the play to you, and you All guys right. are gonna have to tell me how to score it. So we're oh, in the bottom. Wait, no cheat sheet. Shit, I didn't prepare. A Patty's ready. Right, I, I okay. think Patty's I, got, got my mechanical pencil. I have got my score sheet. All the lineup filled in. I'm ready. By the way, we have to commend Patty and Potty Mouth for for letting me do this because it's an incredibly tough task to try to teach something visual in a podcast medium. So I really appreciate them giving me the opportunity to at least give it a try. If anybody can do it, Blake, we believe in you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we have faith in you. All right. So Trey Turner's up to bat. It's the bottom of the first. It's the first at bat. Um, And he grounds it down the line to uh, the shortstar, Arcia who throws it to the first baseman, um, now Washington Nationals, Eric Thames. How would we score that? 6-3. It's correct. Yeah. Woo. And, oh, so where do you mark your outs? So if it was 6-3, do you, do, you, do you like mark your out in the box somewhere? I don't. I, you can come up with a system like that if you want, if you want to use a little dot to say it's the first or the second. But, but I don't do that because um, – I'll never end an inning without three outs. And so I, I can usually kind of keep track just by paying attention to the game. Some score sheets even have little boxes to mark strikes and balls if you really want to get into what the count was. Um, I don't do that because that is that would just drive me insane. But, um, it's uh, again, that's, that's one of those things that's up to you. I don't, but if you want to, go ahead. Some people mark mound visits nowadays. I don't, but but if you I, – I tried, and then I just gave up. But um, that's something you care about. Go ahead. Well, especially now that you have to keep track of them. It's a little bit more, I think, this year and or last year and, and beyond for keeping track of mound visits. And luckily, there's a big scoreboard out in center field yeah. that I could <laughs> see, and that, that's really helped. But no, I mean, because we talked about it last time. When there wasn't that, scorekeeping was really important for that reason. Uh, so the next batter up is Adam Eaton, and uh, Brandon Woodruff fans him um, swinging. A forward K. Very good, potty mouth. All right, those are two quick outs, especially when we don't watch all those uh, swings and misses. It gets worse because um, Anthony Rendon's going to come up, and he's going to pop it right up to our old friend Eric Thames again at first base. So is that an F-O for a flyout, or do you, or is it if P? it's a short with it's pop-out, do you do it differently? I do P for pop-out. If you just wanted to call it a fly, you would do F. I use F-O for foul-out. Oh, just right. Just F right, right. for fly-out. So P-3? P-3. But again, you don't have to use these that I'm giving you. You can come up with whatever system makes sense to you. If F-O makes sense to you as a fly-out, then go right ahead. Okay. 
right? That's the end of the inning. So that's the end of the inning. So to make it easy to remind you that it's the end of the inning, because I can't tell you how many times I filled in, continued an inning when I wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to, I draw a little diagonal line um, at the intersection of, of the two corners of what the next batter would be in the next inning. So if you think of, if you, if you look, the next batter is going to be to the right one and then down one in the next inning. Between those, I draw a little diagonal just to show that's a break in the inning. Okay. And then at the bottom of your score sheet, you can fill out how many runs, hits, errors, and left on base. So for this case, it's all zeros. The one tricky thing to remember is that the errors are not going to be adjudicated to the team that's hitting because they're not going to commit an error. It's going to be the fielding team. So when you're tallying those, you have to remember to look at your other score sheet to put that error in for the inning. So far, so good. Yeah, so we're flying through. Um, We're in the second inning. Juan Soto is going to strike out swinging just like Adam Eaton. Backwards, Kay. Oh, wait, frontwards. No, forwards. Swinging again. There you go, swinging again. Now, some excitement. Howie Kendrick actually singles. All right, so we got to fill in that line from home to first. And then 1B? 1B, that's it. As Drupal Cabrera then flies out to the center fielder. Eight? F8 or F8, uh-huh. yep. That's good. Did you just count? Yes, I did. Every okay, single good. fucking time I do this, I count. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Can I give you a hint? Uh-huh. You can actually draw the numbers somewhere on your score sheet. Good plan. Yeah. Some of them actually have the numbers, which I really appreciate. Yeah, the one I'm looking at does, which helps me. I, I left field and right field always screw me, so... Yep. Um, and then Kurt Suzuki is going to fly out to the left fielder. All right, F07. Perfect. Or F7, however you want to do it. So now we draw that diagonal line because that's the end of the inning. Now what do we do with Howie Kendrick that's been stuck on first? You don't have to do anything if you don't want to. To make it easier for me to understand how he stopped, I draw him about halfway between first and second, I move him about halfway down the base path, and then I draw a line perpendicular to that to show that he got stopped because the inning ended, so he wasn't able to advance any further. That's news to me. I've never seen that happen. I just sort of like leave him hanging right where they were. You're welcome to do that, too. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I To me, if I look back and don't see that, I'm going to think, did I screw up? Did I not move him around the right way? So that's my way of ending it off. But you don't have to do it that way. No, I like it. And I the like reason it. I do it that way, and I know that he didn't get out that way, is because if he gotten out on the base pass, I would have marked that. So had he gotten caught stealing, I would have marked that CS2-6 if it was a shortstop. Or if he had gotten picked off at first, I would have marked it PO13, however it was. But um, I would still draw him halfway and stop him, but I would have something above it to say he got out. Can we stop for defining the difference between getting picked off and caught stealing? Because I misspoke once in the stands at Nats Park and I was reprimanded by somebody sitting nearby and I actually knew the answer. But so the pickoff is when when you get out by not getting back to first and the caught stealing is the base you're running to. Yes. Yes. Okay. In in my in my book, maybe there's some technical differences I'm missing that this person who clearly has very little else to do called you out for, <laughs> but um I I don't um in my in my book, yes, you get picked off if you get thrown out at the base you already own that you already have, and you get caught stealing if you're trying to advance to the next base. Pat Patty, did that happen in section four oh eight? It did. Wow, and Blake wasn't there to spring to your defense? 
Well, if, if, you know, if it happened, Blake would have said, you're right. No, 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 no. But I, I wouldn't have standed for the tone. Yeah, no, that's true. And I appreciate that about you. So now at the summary at the bottom, we actually have things to mark that are not zeros this time. Yes. Yeah, so we have one hit to mark and we have one left on base to mark. Now you can calculate people that were left on base. They're the people who were already on the base. So, so in the case of a third out, let's say someone was thrown out at second base uh, instead of first base. That's the lead runner. That the person at first base hypothetically would have reached first base if there was no third out. But that's not a runner left on base because he was never on base to begin with. The inning ended before that can really happen. Um, and so that's just something you have to practice with, but um, it's pretty easy once you get the hang of it. But it can be more confusing than you initially thought calculating left on base. Let's try something complicated. Yes. Um, so we're going to do the third inning here. Um, so we can practice scoring, someone scoring. Um, and I'll just fly through it so we can practice that one play. So Victor Robles strikes out looking. That's a backwards K we'll mark down. Max Scherzer grounds out. That's a 6-3. Now we get up to Trey Turner. Trey Turner hits a home run. So what do we Woo. do? HR. And, and go all the way around the bases. HR in a little corner. And fill it in. And fill it in. That's the key. So now we have someone scoring. So we're going we're gonna to jump ahead to try a little bit more of a complicated inning. We're going to jump ahead to the fifth inning. So just in, in remembering this game, what was the opposing team's score at this point? It was more than us. It was three to one. All right. so, so it actually started with um, the second batter, uh, Yasmani Grandal for the Brewers, hit a two-run home run. And then in the next inning, Eric Dames led off with a home run. Yeah, I remember wow. things feeling bleak and feeling like what Turner did was a little bit and just waiting for the rest, which is what we're getting to soon, right? Yeah, so in the fifth inning, we're going to practice some changing batters, some pinch hitting, um, and then we're going to practice a pitching change, and then we're going to get to the eighth inning, and, and we'll be ready to go on full-on complex mode. All right. <laughs> right. So let's jump Go ahead. team, I believe in us. Here we go. Let's jump ahead to the fifth inning. We start with this Drupal Cabrera. Now, right before as Drupal Cabrera came to bat, um, the Brewers changed their pitcher. So Brandon Woodruff finished four innings. A new pitcher comes in, Brett Suter. Brent Suter, whatever it is. This is a bunch of hockey players named Suter, so I get confused. <laughs> but um, anyway, what I like to do there, I like to draw a, a little parallel line. I like to highlight the line above is Drupal Cabrera to show that that's a new pitcher. So, so anywhere below him is going to be a new pitcher. You don't have to do that. To me, it makes it clear. And you're going to mark the new pitcher on the pitching section. And the way you do it would be on the other side, on the, in this case, on the Brewer side. Yes, on the other okay. side. Um, at the end of this inning, we'll, we'll actually do a Nats pitching change, so we can write that in. Um, so as Drupal Cabrera is going to ground out to short, that's a 6-3. Kurt Suzuki is going to foul out to the first baseman. That's an F-O-3 or a 3-F. So now Victor Robles gets a single. So we draw him to first. We write 1B. Max Scherzer is going to be pinch hit for. Brian Dozier is going to come in. So where Mac, right under Max Scherzer, he's going to. I can just hear Kalma start playing. <laughs> While he's dancing shirtless. It's an image yeah, we'll never forget. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to. Max Scherzer and Brian Dozier are hitting in the same spot. So they're going to stay on that line, that same line. That's why you have multiple lines for each big box. 
So right under Max Scherzer, we're going to write Dozier, number nine, and then PH for pinch hitter. Now, I like to write that really small because as you'll see when we do the eighth inning, sometimes that player is going to come in as a position player. So I like to make sure I can leave room to write if they come in a, a position. And then right in the line between the fourth inning and the fifth inning, that parallel line, the vertical line, I like to shade that to show that that's a new hitter that's hitting. Again, you don't have to do it. That's cool. So now Brian Dozier is going to get on base because of an error, an E5. Um, Brian Dozier is going to get to first base? He's going to get to first base on an E5, an error at third base. So Victor Robles, because of that, advances to second base. So what do we put above Victor Robles? An, an E in the upper right corner? Well, we don't, we don't have to do that because he did not – he the reason he didn't advance was the E. It had it been a single and then an error advanced all the runners, okay. But in this case, Brian Dozier reaches on the error, so that's where we're going to credit the error. Robles is making it to second because of the error that got eaten to uh, Dozier to first. So we're going to put a little nine to show that Brian Dozier. Check you out, Patty. Got it to second. Yeah, Patty's Patty's a pro. I paid attention. You got that. Um, so other things happen in the inning, but we can call it a day there because we practice the tough thing, which is the error in advancing runners. I learned. And the learned pinch hit. The pinch hitter. So now once Brian Dozier is done – once that inning ends, we know Brian Dozier is not going to pitch again. Presumably, Brian Dozier is not going to go out and pitch for you Max know, Well, Scherzer. he's never going to go out and pitch, but Max Scherzer might. Well, he can't anymore. Max Scherzer's done. done. Okay. <laughs> so right, there you go. I, got it. I don't put a pitcher in that spot until that pitcher actually hits. And the reason I don't do that is because nine times out of ten, anytime there's a reliever in, if their spot's going to come up, they're going to be pinch hit for the only time I even mark it is on a double switch because that means that the pitcher is going to be hitting in a different spot from where the pitcher originally was hitting. And I probably won't even put the name in. I'll just put a P. And then if someone pinch hits at that spot, I'll just change it to PH. So can I just clarify? So does that mean when you get a new pitcher, you put them in the next chunk of three things? No, I don't even put them at all. And I, the, the next time I put someone under Brian Dozier is when somebody hits at that spot. Okay. So because, otherwise the pitcher's just in the bottom. Yeah. Right? Because the pitcher's probably not going to hit. We so. can go through three pitchers right. before that, that spot even comes up. So now what we'll it. do is we'll, we'll mark down that Max Scherzer pitched five innings. You can do all the stats you want. And then we're going to put in Steven Strasburg, number 37, right under him. He's going to come in and pitch. This was so exciting. Oh, my God. It's about the greatest this game is so ever. so cool to, like, rethink about. I'm just, like, picturing Nats Park just totally packed, us on our feet, screaming like crazy. Yeah, this is fun. I got it. And reliving it the other day, watching it on TV was amazing. So now we're ready for the ultimate test. We're going to jump ahead to the eighth inning. And this is it. This is this is all the little complicated scorekeeping things that we've gone over in one. And you guys are going to tell me how we do it. Oh, shit. I'm counting on you, Patty. Uh-oh. Yeah. So I'm going to drink while Blake talks. Perfect. Yeah. So the first batter up is going to be Victor Robles in this inning. And he strikes out swinging, so we put a... Okay, wait. Let me get the easy one. K. Damn it. Perfect. I want the easy ones. Um... Michael A. Taylor pinch hits in that spot. He's the first person to pinch hit after Brian Dozier. So what do we do? 
We write him in under Dozier. As Mikey A. And then do we do the vertical line? We do the vertical line because Woo. that's that show in the hitter. Now, uh, spoiler alert, in the next inning, he's going to come in at right field. So what do we do? We put a slash next to the PH and we write in right field to show that he comes in at right field. But we're not there yet. But we're not there yet. Well, there's no ninth inning in this. We're, we're jumping ahead. Um, so now Mikey A, um, he gets hit by a pitch. So what do we write? HBP. And? And draw, and draw to the line. First, first, first base. Perfect. That's Trey, mine. <laughs> you get the hard stuff. <laughs> I get half of it. Trey Turner gets up and he strikes out swinging. What do we write? That's the K again. All right. So we got two outs and two strikeouts. So we got a man on first because he was hit by a pitch. So um, Ryan Zimmerman is going to come in and pinch hit for Adam Eaton. So what do we write? We put Zim, Zim under Eaton. Number 11. Number 11. And a pH, right? Perfect. And we put the little um, vertical line. He singles. So what do we do? A little line to first base and a one uh, B in the little corner. And and on that play, Mikey A. Taylor makes it all the way to third base. So where do we put the little eleven? So we draw it all the way to third. Then we put the eleven on the left on the on the part going from second to third. Yes. Yes. Because that's that's going to be the farthest he made it on, on Ryan's Zimmerman's. Right now, I'm noticing why it would be so cool to have one of those four-color pens. Uh-huh. Because this would be the cool part, because then you'd be able to see which part of the line was which person. Yeah, so I like to use one color for who advanced it. I like to use a different color for where the ball was hit. You can have his – but it's and that's exactly it. It makes it so much easier. Now, before we move on to Anthony Rendon – uh, Ryan Zimmerman doesn't stay long at first base. Andrew Stevenson comes in to pinch run. Oh so, boy! So what do we do? Do we put him under Zim? So I, what I do, I don't. You can put him under Zim. I was always crunch for space, and nine times out of ten, the pinch runner isn't gonna be around to hit again. So the way I do it is that I put a little PR next to where first base would be, and in parentheses, I put the player number. So I put there's no room for that. 17. That is tiny, man. Well, now on my score sheet, I have way more room to do that than add another player. On this score sheet, you have three slots, so there's nothing wrong with putting in 17 Stevenson to pinch run. Um, it all depends on space and how you want to make it work. Um, and but I that's could put I nicknames in, like CW, because that's what I call them. You can do whatever you want because it's <laughs> so your score sheet. All right. So now Anthony Rendon comes up. He's going to walk. BB. Perfect. Now he's going to send Andrew Stevenson to second base because of his walk. So that's a six on the line from first to second on the what's now the Andrew Stevenson line, right? Perfect. Yes. There's a lot going on in that box right now. Uh, yeah. The the number the double number meaning is is very confusing. Yep. And again, you don't have to do that if that's not important to you. Gotcha. I like to see how base runners advance, but it, you know, it, it depends on the level of complex that you want to get. Now here's going to be the hardest play of the day that we're going to score. So get ready to, to make room. Um, Juan Soto is going to single to right fielder Trent, Trent Grisham, who's going to make an error that allows him to get to second base. So how so do it's we... It's a 1B, but a, the lines go different? It's a, it's a 1B and you draw him to first. Uh-huh. Then he so, makes it to second, so you draw him to second, and what do we put above the first to second baseline? E7. 
E7, perfect. Now, Trent Grisham eventually recovers, throws it to the shortstop, who throws it to the third baseman and tags Rondon out, or not Rondon, tags Soto out between second and third. So what do we put above second and third base where we drew the little line and stopped him? Okay, hold on. So it was it was left field to shortstop? Shortstop to third baseman. To third. So seven, six, five? Exactly. And we'll put that right above the baseline and we'll stop him about halfway because that's how he got thrown out. So he's going to make it to first on a single. He's going to make it to second on the error made on the single by Trent Grisham. And then he's going to get caught between the second and third baselines by being tagged out from a throw. So the throw is from, from seven. I'm sorry. It actually, I made a mistake on my scorecard. No, it might have been seven. I got to check. I, it wouldn't make sense for it to be seven because the error. It was an E9. I am so sorry, everyone. I, I am ashamed of myself. The thing I was going to ask about was then people are scoring at the same time. Mm-hmm. So this, that goes in their boxes? Well, yeah. So so in the, we're, we're going to get there. So now we have Soto done. I want to finish with the runner before I see where everyone, you know, the hitter, before I see where all the other runners went. So that's what happened on the play to Soto. It was a single. It was an error by Trent Grisham, wherever he was, between first and second base. I really think it was right field. I think I actually screwed this up in all my excitement because it was exciting. And then he was thrown out between second and third. So now that we have Soto done, we'll worry about everyone else. So on this play, the first person I'm always going to go to is the lead runner, so the person at third. So I'll go down to, to Michael A. Taylor. He made it home. I'll draw him home, put the 22, fill him in. Next, I'll look for Adam e- or, um, sorry, Andrew Stevenson, who pinch hit or pinch ran for Zimmerman. Um, it looks like he made it home. I'll draw him all the way home, put the 22 for Soto, fill him in. And then Rendon also made it all the way home, so I'll draw him around, put the 22 between third and home, and fill it in. And that's how you do it. On okay. One- yeah. So, yikes. Yeah. And also, okay, so there were two strikeouts already. So there were two outs before this mayhem started. And then Soto gets thrown out. So for the folks in the cheap seats, when do the runs count? When do they not count when the third out happens? They count if the run is scored before the out. Now, this is not necessarily the case on like a force out single. So if, if the guy from third evidently crosses first before that, that you know, 4-3 happens, that's not a run. Um, it only counts that the person reached a base and then got out subsequently. Um, now the reason, and then there's an important reason for this. The reason is that Juan Soto actually kept running, we found out later, was because he wanted to be a distraction so to make sure Anthony Rendon could make it all the way home. But this is only going to happen because he singled, because he already made a base safely. Yikes. I cannot believe how much stuff is written in that tiny, tiny little box next to Juan Soto in the eighth inning column. It's crazy. This but, is big fun. It is. And and we have one more thing to cover, and, and that will be the last of it. Once... Um, once this all is over, um, we have a double switch, which you see a lot in the National League as a way to move the pitcher spot around and keep players in. Um, or if you want to have a pitcher pitch longer, you might double switch to have him bat way, way down the order for wherever they are in the order 
to make sure they can stay in two innings um, because pitchers have to hit in the National League. So in this case, Michael A. Taylor is going to stay in at right field. So I put a slash next to the PH and right field. If you have the space, you can put a little dash nine to show that it's the ninth inning. In this scorebook that I use, I don't have that space. So on the left-hand margin, I write DS and then arrow down nine or arrow up nine to show it's a double switch in the top of the ninth. And he's being switched with Adam Eaton's spot, that second spot where Ryan Zimmerman came in and then Andrew Stevenson ran for him. So there I'll do the same thing where I'll write the DS and then up arrow nine. Um, But I usually won't write the name of the pitcher. I'll just put the P. Because if that spot comes up again, under most circumstances, a batter is going to come hit instead of that pitcher. And if that pitcher hits, then I'll just fill him in then. I am not ready for the test, but I feel like I've gotten my feet really, really wet. And I'm going to keep trying. This is really fun. So we've got homework. What's our homework? Yes. So we are going to score keep the May 3rd Nationals game against the New York Mets. Um, it's available on MLB.com because all the last two years of games they've made available for our coronavirus viewing, um, which is very nice of them to do. Um, and it's, it's a good game to practice because there's not a ton of complicated plays, but there's a lot of things that happen and there's quite a few pitching changes. Um, and so it's a great way of practicing. So should we each do our own scorecard and then send them to you to grade ahead of time? Or are we going to just grade them like as a class? It's your podcast. You tell me what you (laughs) want to do. We will figure this out in a way to embarrass Potty Mouth the least. (laughs) Blake, this is super fun. I am learning so much. And I thought I knew what I – well, no, I never really thought I knew what I was doing. I just knew that I did it. Thank you for, uh, for sharing your vast knowledge and making us smarter people. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to do our homework and we're going to see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah. Thank you. While y'all are at home, you should be doing some homework, watching that Nats-Mets game and practicing some scorekeeping. Maybe listen to some past episodes and get caught up on what we're doing. Maybe find us on social media. Potty Mouth, can you help? Chat with us on Twitter at NCIB Podcast or Facebook and Instagram at No Crying and B-Ball. Or drop us an email at ncibpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. All right, everybody, wear your masks, wash your hands, stay safe. And until next time, say goodnight, Potty Mouth. Good night, Potty Mouth. Good night, Potty Mouth.